Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Lane. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast, episode six. I'm your host, Bill Leahy, back again with Coach Marty Cuprian, Youth Director here at Next Sports. Happy New Year to all, and welcome back, all of our listeners, to yet another episode where we dive into youth sports and some lacrosse topics. Coach Coop? Thanks, Bill. I'm going to try not to waste too much time updating you on my life right now. We're going to get right into learning more about our guest. Today's guest is one of my best friends, Brett Manny. Brett is the, currently the VP of Sales and Recruiting for Next Sports, a role in which he helps run all of our boys' events and recruiting showcases. Brett also helps lead our Next Box program and his side hustle. He's a 12-year pro in the NLL, and he's the only American captain in the NLL this year as a New England Black Wolf. Brett, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, guys, pumped to be here. Uh, hope to, hopefully can give you some insights uh, what my uh, upbringing has been with lacrosse to where I am today. I'm a very passionate guy, so if I bring the, the volume up a little bit on your uh, podcast, I apologize, but I have a tough act to follow. I mean, Law, Kate Henwood, Tucker Durkin, uh, Coach Resch, so being uh, in the same sentence and being uh, right behind them is going to be a tough act to follow, but I'm excited to be in, being with you guys tonight uh, talking with More Than a Club podcast. Thanks, Brett. We'll get right into it. Youth sports hot topic, uh, really driven for parents. Today we're going to talk about club lacrosse, why it's important, uh, some positives, some negatives, and really your take on it. And Coach Leahy and I will probably contribute too. Yeah, so club lacrosse for me personally, I think it is vital uh, for kids' success when it comes to lacrosse and playing uh, at the next level, whether that's at high school or at uh, college, and then ultimately maybe it's playing pro lacrosse. But I kind of got into club lacrosse backwards. I mean, Marty, as you said, you're one of my best friends. We've known each other for 16 years, going back to my official visit at University of Delaware. And you were the first one that kind of introduced me to Andy Hayes, um, and helping out with the Philly Showcase when it was actually in the springtime and doing that at uh, Haverford College. And a few months later, going to Big Attaway Tavern, and Andy Hayes had this vision of next sports and next lacrosse, which he actually wrote down on a napkin. And to see that come to fruition, I started coaching then when I was maybe 23, 24. I remember you go, Coop, I don't really want to coach. <laughs> yes, yes. I go, no, totally. no, 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 no. You need the coach and wait till you see the gear. And you're like, eh, I'm already playing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm already playing. I got a you know, full-time job. I'm playing. I got a lot on my plate. And you just told me to trust you. And obviously, from our friendship at Delaware and being uh, a former teammate of mine, I, I jumped in. I believed you. Maybe not necessarily Hayes because I'm like, who's this guy who's writing stuff on a napkin that's like crazy scientist? But I believed in Marty and the vision and the logo of like the skyline and making kids better lacrosse players outside of just their high school. So I first got in coaching with the club with you with our 2014 team, um, which had some incredible players. And now Brooks Melvin, it's awesome. One of those members now works for us full time uh, doing that. And then I started coaching at Episcopal Academy. Then Andy's like, hey, you know, I got to get you in coaching high school. And that was great for me because. I didn't know all the X's and O's and how to do some of these things and to be working under, you know, Andy and Coach Gibbs there, yourself, seeing some other guys that would be around like Coach uh, Roger Reynolds and guys that were so prideful of Episcopal Academy was certainly very rewarding for me as a young coach. So that helped me develop and morph myself into the coach that I am today. Uh, But obviously, I think club is extremely important. Did you play club? 
I did not play club. I was a multi-sport athlete, and I just went to going into my sophomore year was the first time I actually did like the recruiting events, and I maybe did two or three of them. A top star. Uh, top 205 and then it went back to top 205 which was like top 600 or whatever it was and uh, a couple other it was a great one day event which was at Garnet Valley back in the day I believe I remember that so I, I did that but I was also playing uh, AAU basketball tournaments and we had an incredible soccer team at, at Holy Ghost Prep where I went to school and I was playing in soccer summer leagues basketball summer leagues AAU uh, events and then in addition, trying to go to some lacrosse uh, recruiting events as well. So I knew nothing of club lacrosse. I think the Dukes were around and MAB dogs, but uh, it was just very much at its infancy back then. And uh, I mean, I graduated high school in 2004. So you're looking at 2002, 2003, right around there. Where would you say we are now with club lacrosse? Where we are now, it's crazy. Just the amount of clubs that are not only in Philadelphia, but around the country. In some ways, it's a little bit saturated. Um, and what people are doing and, and trying to go out there. That's why parents, I, I feel like, really have to do their research. Like, what is the best fit for you? Um, and for some people, it's driving an hour, hour and a half away because that's the only option they might have. For some people, if you're living outside of Philadelphia in, like, Westchester, you have, like, six clubs to choose from. If you want to travel a little bit further, now you expand your portfolio to a dozen. And I think for me, well, growing up where I did, you know, it's where Bill resides, is, is Newtown, you know, my backyard was a farm and we backed up to a farm and went to Holy Ghost Prep and they only had lacrosse for seven years at that point in time. And I had a, you know, a coach the first year and he left and he was such a great guy. And, and then we had like a 24 year old fresh out of college um, that was still learning things. So I didn't have an opportunity to play club. I'm sure I would have if that was the case, but I probably would have went to my club director, or my dad and said, hey, like my son can only do a few events. And he can't really make practice because in the fall he's playing varsity soccer and he's playing varsity basketball in the winter. And, you know, in the summer he can do a, a few things. But um, I think for so many kids it's vital from the fact that not everybody gets to be coached by Bill Leahy and Tony Resch. And, like, that is incredible. That is better than a lot of college staffs that are out there. Um, two guys which have been, like, mentors to me and um, uh, friends now that we've got to know each other really well. Uh, obviously you look up to, to Bill very much and, and Tony as well from everything that they've accomplished. So not everyone gets that experience at, at a high school. And I think for some people that they can go to, they might be at a no name high school and then they can come play for their club and play against these kids that do get great education from the, those coaching staffs, whether it's at their middle school or it's at the high school level that makes the club experience that much more valuable to them. And I can name plenty of kids that have played for Next or these other clubs that are at these no-name schools, but the club helps them, you know, compete. And that's a big thing because LaSalle practices. Bill has practices where he's going to have 20 Division One kids from sophomore, junior, seniors playing against each other. That's incredible. And that competition, you know, you can't put that into words how valuable that is. Um, and that's something I did not have. And there's a lot of kids that do not until they go to a club practice or they play in a club tournament. Coach, it's great to have you with us. And my Newtown backyard is not a farm like yours, <laughs> but you did show me where you grew up. Yep. Yep. I can see how it was a farm. You mentioned the marketplace and being saturated in club lacrosse. Any thought that maybe this will have a, uh, a shrinkage or a fallout and, and clubs will merge or they'll have multiple teams or just it'll be some different. What's the next visionary future look? I think what's going to happen is you will see some merging of clubs together where some guys maybe have been doing it for a while and 
maybe had a kid and uh, the kid is now phased out. It's like, you know what? This isn't for me anymore. I'm now going to give this to somebody else. Uh, or someone's just like, man, this is more work than, than I thought it was going to be. I thought this was going to be turnkey and easy. And it's like, I'm getting texts from parents at 1 a.m. asking where, like, uh, if Jimmy's going to get seen by Coach Murphy at Penn. Like, it's a lot. Like, God bless Coop, man. Like, I, I love the guy. I always give him a ton of compliments. But he's got so much to deal with on his plate when it comes to, to parents. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Marty and I do not have kids yet. But you know, that is the most sacred thing to a parent and a family and they want what's best for their kid. And I just think that, you know, that club evolution, every parent wants to be in a good club. And there's a lot of stress, not only on the parents, but on the club directors to put out a good product. And some of the guys just don't want to do it, do it anymore. And the people that are organized, the people that have great communication and obviously um, run great practices, I think are going to excel better than everybody else and you have to be passionate too you know if you love what you're doing and you're not just doing it to just make a buck then that goes a very a very long way you know you got to invest in time not in money and we were laughing pre-show that despite being good friends we're just really different yeah, totally. you know, you're, yeah. you're like six four and good looking i'm not <laughs> either <laughs> but i watch you play as an athlete just a phenomenal athlete and and that shines in the in the club and indoor and club lacrosse and and outdoor. I can't play like that, right? I can't play defense. I had to play within a system where I could be me with my own limitations and still yet be successful, where you can go out there and just be an athlete and play within the system. I thought it was interesting some of the comments you had as we were kicking around high school lacrosse and club lacrosse, and you were saying how when you did get to college, there were just some areas because of your, your background and having played out at Holy Ghost and just didn't have the same experience as I did growing up in Baltimore, where you were just a little bit behind the curve. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, totally behind the curve. No one was telling me about wall ball. No one was telling me about soft hands. And it was interesting back in the day, you used to have horns like on the sidelines and end lines. So we didn't have a clear. Our clear was give the ball to Brett. So I'd pick it up and I would run by everybody. And they're like, you don't need to pass the ball, just run in a straight line. And if I was tired, then... You know, I knew, all right, I got to sprint 50 yards, give the ball to somebody else, get off the field. Um, and we only had one offense. It was like a one four one where I just like sprinted by a guy, to <laughs> always my right hand, and give it to, to someone. So I was extremely raw athlete, and I didn't have – I remember scouting reports came out of Delaware, and they're like, you got to stop this guy. GLE, this guy has a great COD. And I'm looking – I'm so confused. I'm like, what is this? I would have thought this was like honors physics in high school. <laughs> I had no idea what these abbreviations meant. And that's just how far behind I was. But also at the end of the day, because I played three sports, I valued my time in lacrosse so much more. I wasn't burned out by the time I got to Delaware. I just was soaking it all up like a sponge. And by the time I left Holy Ghost, I was like, wow, like you're this phenomenal athlete and blah, 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 and like great basketball player and, and soccer. And I got to Delaware and Marty can vouch for like, I wasn't good. And I was so far behind on my stick skills and my IQ that I was like, you know what? I got to go play wall ball. Uh, I got to do everything I can to catch up and to get on the field because I want to win for the program. And I loved my teammates. And I just remember we had this guy, Dan Hedgecoff. And at the end of my freshman year, he had a whole team together. And he's telling everybody like, hey, we can do better than what we finished this year, blah, blah, blah. And he single-handedly called me out. He's like, Brett Manny, like, we need you to play next year. And that meant so much to me. I'm like... I'm going to run more sprints than a Towson midfielder. I'm going to do more wall ball than the Villanova kid. So then that way, when we were out there, I'm like, no one's going to outwork me to help us be successful the following year. And I was behind the eight ball big time. And Marty can probably tell you various stories. Um, but I used that to my advantage to get better. 
Well, you had the athletic ability to catch up fast and the IQ, sports IQ. So, And I think that's what, what helps you in a way is playing all those other sports. They're like, Brett, you're going to play this pick like you would in basketball. I remember my defensive coach, Greg Carroll's like, hey, when you're playing this two-man game, this is how you're going to stand. It's like a pick and roll. And the same thing on offense. When you come off this pick, like that's not your first thing as a jump shot. You might have a guy back door that's like cutting. Like Marty was awesome off ball. You might find Marty cutting with his left hand curling around and having that vision. Now, I wish I was more offensive-minded and that caught up a little bit quicker. But uh, at the end of the day, playing all those sports was huge. And I would pick a guy like you, Bill, because I know you're big into stringing sticks and having all these things. I didn't even have the, uh, the time or patience for that. I'm like, I'm playing soccer and I'm playing basketball in high school. I would just find a kid that was good at it and give him 10 bucks and be like, dude, string my stick. And I'll find out a way to do it because I find that it's, it's not the wand, it's the wizard. And I'm like, no matter how you string it, I'm going to be able to find a way to make this thing work. And I, I do have a lot of God-given abilities, but I also look at some guys in the NBA that came out right from high school, like a Darius Miles, who was so athletic, but he could never figure it out between his ears and never had like that kind of work ethic to be awesome, even though he was incredibly athletic and I never wanted to let down my God-given abilities and I wanted to take them to the furthest extent that I could. So... I did want to always be a very good friend of a Bill Leahy that would help string my stick and probably <laughs> Bill Warner was one of his uh, Los Al right. guys. Yeah, that guy can string sticks. Guy. Yeah, shout out to, to shout out Billy B Dubs. We called him a wand and the wizard. I love it. Yep. Harry Potterish, Coach Coop. That was outstanding. Really good stuff from Brett there. So we're gonna jump uh, to our culture building, how to be a great teammate for players, and then we'll end it with uh, with some coaching insights. But um, just hearing Brett talk right there about. Uh, working harder in the offseason for his teammates and and really improving himself because he loved his teammates was pretty cool to hear. Um, Brett's a guy that was a team captain at Delaware um, and also in the pros. So I would just ask Brett, like, how did you become such a great teammate? Or, you know, were you born with leadership traits? Like, what are your thoughts on leadership? I think leadership's it's pretty tough. And I think when you're younger, it's a uh, popularity contest. You know, who's like the cool kid that's like pretty good at a sport and everyone's like, all right, we're going to follow him. It's a popularity contest. And then it comes down to when it really matters. And it's like, who's the guy that we want to follow behind? And um, it's kind of interesting. I know you guys had the, the podcast with Tony Resch, one of my best friends and a uh, good friend of yours, Marty, as well as George Castle. When we talk about, I remember the first time we were talking about Tony Resch, just like seven, eight years ago. And he says, one. I, I think it's probably the, one of the nicest things you can say about someone is like, if I had one person in my foxhole, it would be Tony Resch. Because as you get older, you know, you not only have to be great at what you're doing to be a leader because people are going to follow you because you're good at your craft, but are you just a good person? Like, is that someone you want to be around? And is that person going to have your back when the times are tough? Um, are they going to not only, are they going to walk their talk? A lot of people like to talk about things, but can you actually back it up and walk it? So when I was younger, you know, I was, I mean, we talked about this before, I had some God-given abilities where I can run really fast and jump really high and I have good and I have uh, some good height. But was I being able to back that up with, when I was outside of my house, I was practicing my jump shot and dribbling. Was I juggling a, a soccer ball every day? And was I going out there and, and playing wall ball in my, my, brick fire, my brick fireplace in my parents' house? Um, those little things of, of being a leader and, and is more than just being good at what you do. It's about getting that pure respect. And sometimes it's tough. Like you're going to have to go against the grain. You're going to have to tell one of like your, your best buddies being like, you're dogging it today. You're being an ass or you're a complete ass to that younger guy. 
And is that really one, how you want to leave Delaware? Like, is that how you want to leave Holy Ghost? Like, you want to leave it in a better place than what you found it. And it can be a, a domino effect because if your leadership skills are, are not great and are condescending in a way, then a younger kid might look at that and be like, oh, that's how to lead. If that's how he's leading and that guy's in a leadership role, then that's how to lead and it's a slippery slope. So you a lot of times have to go against the grain there, which is very tough. And I've had to do that many times in my career and have tough decisions and times with people. But the people that really want it, get it and they improve upon it. And the other ones that don't like they're not going to elevate. But I mean, I think the biggest respect is pure respect. And when you can be a leader and um, it, it's something which is very humbling. It's cool to hear you say some of the sound bites we've been talking about, like be a follow me teammate and also leave it in a better place. Um, I'm still curious, you know, leading a group of, of grown men um, in the NLL and being a team captain. And it's a big deal. Uh, it's a huge honor. What does that feel like the first time? Um, and then, you know, what's it like now uh, talking to a young rookie or um, someone that's struggling? It, it's uh, can be difficult for sure. And, and I think when you're going through all these things and you're having these conversations, it's, it's very, uh, I'm in a strange position because playing in the NLL, you know, 80% of the guys are, are Canadians. Uh, and then, you know, they know the 15% are native Americans and it's their sport and it's a phenomenal sport and being the only American captain. And, and it's been like that for a very long time. I mean, maybe going back to like Scott Gabrielson with the wings back in the day, on a mostly Canadian roster um, is something which is challenging, but I think it goes to show the respect that my teammates have for me. And I think it's also, it's vice versa. I just love playing with those group of guys and guys that are bought in. And we just had a team meeting last week. I said, if you don't want to be a New England Black Wolf, like there's the door. We don't need you because we just need guys to do their jobs and not be superstars. And it's all about culture and being able to do that. So putting guys in the right place and where they need to be but also you got to show them how to do it and go about it the right way and I've been so fortunate enough to be around some great leaders when we were at Delaware like Chris Collins was awesome uh, as we called him Uncle Chris and then my first you know year in, in outdoor uh, Chris Garrity who was a goalie for Penn State was an incredible leader uh, got to learn from him Colin Doyle was my first uh, captain when I was in the NLL. And actually, I just saw him last weekend at our game. And nice. we're talking about all these things uh, about the game. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, you know what? Just, just stop, Colin. Like, thank you. Thank you for growing me. And as an American, didn't know what the hell was going on. You know, my first boss practice, I didn't even have rib pads. I didn't even have the right materials with me. And he was so nice and accommodating and wanted me to get better. Um, and his leadership skills were great. So I just picked and choose what I, I, some of the great leaders that was around me and morphed that into the, some of the skills I already had and try to do that for our next generation of players that you know play for the New England Black Wolves, whether it's a rookie, a second, third year guy. And you gotta do different things with leadership. It's not just stuff that's on the floor. You're like, hey, this is how you do your expense report. This is how you don't miss a flight. Um, and you guys have talked about it in, in previous podcasts about sweeping the shed. And it's just those little things because even as a rookie, you're the big fish in a small pond. And now it's a, a slice of humble pie. You're a small fish in the big pond. And what you got to do to be a professional um, in, in playing with all the best players in the world. Americans leading Canadians. You're an American. It's rare. Yeah. yeah what, rare do you, what do you think? What's rare it been breed. like? You get chirped? Uh, don't really get chirped that much. I mean, I, I, uh, I like to do some of the chirping against yeah. the guys. I mean, I think it's just like my Philly upbringing. 
uh, and the, my personality is I like to dish a lot out, but I also want a little bit in return. And I think guys do that with me, but at the same point in time, they know when I, it's time to turn it on at a practice or at a shoot around. Um, it's certainly and it's such an incredible honor. I can't tell you that just the respect that those guys have in me. And, and I, I think they know how much respect I have of them. I mean, there's little things I do throughout the year. Like in the summer, I was asking for their mailing addresses. So I'd send them postcards from Philadelphia. Um, you know, when we'd have some extra gear at events, making sure that there's yeah, guys always get hooked up. up. So just making sure, uh, you know, everything we do is built around a, a winning culture and it's how you define winning and, and great leadership. And not only myself, but there's other great leaders that are on that team. Uh, this guy, John LaFontaine, is my roommates, won multiple times and, and he's an incredible leader. And Stefan LeBlanc is one of our other assistant captains. He's a great leader. This guy, Riley O'Connor, he's uh, played at Georgetown. Um, he's a coach at the Hill Academy. He, he's a, he does some excellent things from a leadership standpoint too. So, you know, you can't lead on your own. You know, many times you need to rely on some some other people that have great traits as well to help you um, in what you want to accomplish as a team. And I think that's also what's incredible about playing team sports. It's not just one guy. There's multiple people. Because if I go down and, you know, knock on wood, if, if I get hurt, other guys are going to have to step up the leadership skills as well. We have a segment with our X and O Insight of the Week where we kind of look at an aspect of lacrosse. And we had Tony Resch on, on our last episode. And the question we asked him was the same one we're going to ask you. And that is incorporating box concepts into the field. You know, you can't turn on the TV and watch college without seeing Canadians playing. And so how would you kind of uh, sum up or your views on taking the box game and placing it outside? Well, let's talk about uh, a couple things. One, the World Championships this past year, who won? Canada, right, for, for, indoor. for indoor. And, you know, we took the bronze. They've never not won. And they've never not won. Yeah, it's, it's, they could put two teams out there. Exactly. <laughs> and still get a medal, which is incredible. Some of the guys that, they, that didn't make that team that, um, you know, are incredible lacrosse players. And then the field game, last summer, USA won. And, like, cheers, you know, hats off. I'm so proud of those guys. I'm very good friends with a lot of them. But it came down to a last-second goal. Again. Again. In and under 19, too. Under 19 oh. was the same way. And the last World Games before that, Canada won. It's like, what is the biggest difference? Why are – and here in America, we show so much priority on sports and youth sports and uh, the development, nutrition, all these types of things. What's the one difference between us and Canada? What is the difference in lacrosse-wise? like they play more box. That's the common denominator. And as a result – their stick skills are better than ours. Their IQ is, you know, they slow the game down, even though that they're playing box and their shot clock and stuff, they're able to mentally slow the game down and be like, you know what? We don't need 50 shots a game. We need 25 and they're going to be the 25 right shots. Oh, we don't need to take the ball away every time on defense. We're going to force you to take bad angle shots. That is where we want you to shoot on our, our goalie. That's going to be the highest save percentage for us. So, just from that, if you look at the highest level of games playing, like we were just saying, U19 national teams, national teams for indoor and outdoor, coming down to U.S. Canada, the common denominator is playing box. So if you can incorporate those drills, which the Canadians and the Native Americans are doing, and put that into the American field game, then that's where we see some separation on the field side for sure. Um, with, you know, a lot of parents are asking, why should my defenseman son play? You know, he's always has a long stick in his hand. It's like, well, he needs a short stick. 
because now he's going to know how to actually use his feet and not rely on a six-foot pole. He's going to be able to use his feet and understand pick and rolls with the short stick. And God forbid, um, he goes to whatever school it is. They're like, you know what? You'd be better as a D-mini. Take this short stick in your hand. That's how you're going to get on the field. And he's going to be comfortable and confident enough to be like, oh, I played this in box. I know what I'm doing. But the more you can incorporate it and be creative, you know, because kids, kids don't want the same drills. They don't want the, the X's and O's from uh, that, you know, they were learning when they were eight years old or what was done 30 years. They want something which is different. And if you can do that and incorporate some of those box drills and skills into a field practice, I think it's going to educate and make the players better for it. Yeah, for me, it was their creativeness, their craftiness. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great word. Yeah. You think you got them and you don't got them. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you don't. And it's like, yep, like they're throwing it on their stick. And we just had box practice last week. Lax last week, and I said to some kids ago, if his stick's open, he's open. Throw him the ball. You know, they so many times they want him to be wide open because that's what they're used to in field. Yeah, their definition of what's open and our definition of what's open are, are different. Completely different. Six inch window is open. Yep. To totally. us, we need like a two feet away from the next person. I also love just the, the toughness, the mental toughness, the space toughness, the physical toughness. Better be just ready to play when the whistle blows. Yeah, you, you need. I mean, it, there's nowhere to go. You're surrounded. It's not like oh, I can sprint 30 yards away. It's nope. There's boards right there, and you got to be ready for anything. And I also like the fact that you know defense players can be offensive. It's like oh, you're gonna push the ball in transition. You get down there. Shot clock's at like 14 seconds. You know, like with us, like stay down there because by the time it takes you to leave and get another guy on, it's gonna be like eight seconds. You might as well stay, stay and play offense. So it gets defensive guys to think offensively. And it also gets offensive-minded players to be like, oh, I don't need to shoot that ball that hard to score. I'm this close away. And just think when you're on a six-by-six net, like, I mean, it looks like throwing a, you know, tennis ball into the ocean, what you're shooting at when you actually go out into the field. But to be able to physically tough, mentally tough is the big one. Um, And then obviously you're incorporating all the crappiness of behind-the-back passes and all that stuff because you know how it is if a guy feeds you across crease and – you know, you catch on the wrong side, your actually best angle for shooting is a behind the back. That's going to increase your likelihood of scoring rather than catching it and just trying to jam it in. A behind the back shot gives you more than that to shoot at. Yeah, and I love the clock management. I mean, the clock is a, is a third opponent going on in outdoor, but definitely in indoor, leaking as your shot clock expires yep. on both ends of the, of the rink. It's just so much going on. And I like the toughness involved, too, when I think they play the best out of three or the best out of five. I always felt in the international game, especially with the under-19 USA, like the first time you play the Canadians, they're just sizing you up. Yeah, and It's not just, the one you have to win. Let's yeah, see what happens. Exactly. And they're looking at you like, all right, like this is really – I mean, it's, it's how are you going to beat us? Like are you mentally tough? Like we were just saying, physically the Canadians are like, how are you really going to beat us? And uh, the more like box we can incorporate into what we're doing – um, on the field side, which is incredible, is only going to grow exponentially with the development of players. And I just think the best lacrosse players, too, are the smartest. You know, when you look at guys that play professional lacrosse, what's the difference between a guy that plays maybe six years and a guy that plays 11, 12? That, that guy, when he started losing a little bit of maybe what made him such a great athlete or whatever it is, is gaining it up in his, in his brain and is able to be like, all right, I understand this angle. I know that Bill Leahy wants his right hand. I know uh, Marty Cooperon wants to go lefty underneath every time. Can't and dodge, won't dodge. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore, Coop. 
And I really appreciated your comment about putting a short stick in a defenseman's hand. You know, in my later years at LaSalle, before I retired, I was getting frustrated at guys who were coming to LaSalle and could only play one spot. And I'm not talking about just defensemen. I'm talking about offensive players who, a midfielder who can play attack. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, you spend so much time all summer just playing right-handed midfielder, we'll get in line. I got a whole lot of them. You can't give me three minutes of attack? Just think about, like, Coach Tierney. I talked about this with him when I see him on, like, the recruiting trail and, and Coach Brown over at Denver and Tillman likes to say it at Maryland. Like, they want positionless guys. I want You need to dodge over there on the wing. You need to dodge. If you're a midi, you got to be able to dodge from the wing. you got to be able to dodge from up top. you got to be able to run in transition and make plays from defense to offense. You're gonna be able, can you invert? Can you play off ball? You know, can you play can defense? You, can you play defense? Can you play on can the wing? Can you sub correctly? Like, those guys are so invaluable – and, you know, in my opinion, that's like some of the best lacrosse players in the world that don't get much attention are those two-way guys that can play great offense and defense, like a Jordan Hall from Delaware. Like that guy, in my opinion, is one of the best middies in the last 25 years. Another guy I play with, Greg Downing, is one of the best middies in the last 20, 25 years because they can play anywhere on the field, offense, defense, put them in there, man up, man down. Like those types of things are invaluable and makes guys Swiss Army knives. And in my opinion, that's what makes you such a great midfielder. Yeah, I just ran into Coach Tierney at uh, our showcase, too. And I said, how's our boy, LaSalle boy, Shane Osborne doing? And he said, we're just totally messing with him at this point. He said he's an attackman, played attack for you at LaSalle. He also played midfield. We love that we got two positions for the price of one player. And now we got him running D-Midi. And I was, he said, that's what you do with freshmen. Yep. So just to wrap up that segment, uh, Brett and I really wanted to open the door to any local coaches in the Philadelphia area. Come join the next box practice. Every Wednesday night, um, our teams practice at the Steelyard. It's in King of Prussia. Uh, again, Next is a group that's inclusive. We want to grow the game. And if you're a coach that wants to learn more about box lacrosse, c- come learn it with us. You know, And shadow Coach Resch, Coach Leahy, Coach, coach Brett here. Um, and I'm sure you, you'd be better for it. So we're going to move on with our guest here. Uh, we've got a ton we want to ask him about. Um, we're going to start... Brett told a little bit about his background in Bucks County, Holy Ghost Prep. Um, is it right that you were the first Division One lacrosse player from Holy Ghost Prep? Yep, and from the area. And from Bucks County in mm-hmm. general? Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um, how about a little bit more of, I've, I've heard your talk, Unexpected Greatness. If you can give us kind of an abridged version, and then we're going to guide people down the path from Delaware to the pros. Yeah, I'll give you the abridged version of my Unexpected Greatness speech. Uh, I mean, I was born in 1985, so before they had all the technology um, with mothers and what you were going to have, whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, um, you know, I say, like, I was unexpected. Um, My mom knew she was pregnant, and, uh, you know, first she had my brother, and he was my twin brother. So I came out after my brother, and she didn't know that she was having twins. And it was kind of funny. My dad had, like, a Bronco, a Ford Bronco he bought, like, a week before, and they were all set. They're like, oh, we have a daughter. Megan, my sister, she's incredible. Shout out to my sister. <laughs> the teacher? Teacher, yes. Yeah. If anyone's a, a, a follower or likes incredible teachers, you would want my, sis, my sister. She's got like 30,000 followers on Instagram. Um, but my, my mom and my dad were like, oh, we have this great family. This is what we planned for, budgeted got for. Got the Bronco. And we got the Bronco. My dad's like, I'm going to be a cool dad. <laughs> and little do you know, here I come. And I, was, I tell people, like, I was unexpected. And I didn't know that story until maybe I was like, 10 or 11 when my mom was like hey like just let you know like we didn't expect to have you guys as twins uh we just thought we were having one and that was ryan so everything i kind of pursued from that point in time was like man like if that was unexpected like i want to be great 
the fact that this was unexpected and how can I make greatness every single day? And I can break it down into like the littlest things, like being a great teammate. Like, you know, what's unexpected is after you score a goal as an attackman, you go give a high five or point to the defenseman that made that two slide and caused the transition Make it going the other way. Else. Yeah. yeah. Or you know what? After a game when um, you're a defenseman and you hold a guy to like zero points, that guy on the scout team that was giving you that look all week, you go to him and be like, hey, Tim, the reason why I shut down, you know, Pat Spencer was because you gave me that look every single day in practice and you worked your ass off to do it. Like, so there's unexpected ways of like the teammate and that of being great. And then also I, I have the other side of it about being, you know, the unexpected greatness as just a person. Like if you see someone behind you, you're going to hold the door for them. Uh, you see a piece of trash on the ground. Are you going to go pick it up and actually put it back where it belongs and just being a, a great person because every day there's opportunities to be great. And how are you going to do that? And even just a little thing, like if, with, if it's within yourself, uh, you know, one of my favorite speeches of all time is the army general. He spoke at Texas. This is like five or six years ago. And he said, every day I make my bed. I make my bed every day. So then I know I am starting off my day accomplishing something. So even if I don't think I did anything right, I gave the wrong orders. We had a failed mission, whatever. I can still go back and mentally be like, you know what though? I'm going back into my, I'm going to know I'm going to go home. My bed's made. And that really strung a chord with me as well. Like that is just a simple thing where it's like, Hey, it's greatness. You're going to wake up every day and you're going to have the discipline to make your bed. You know, beds are not supposed to be messy and everything like that. So that's just kind of a little bit of the unexpected greatness and like a, a bridge one minute version that, which I give. I can give the longer version by, by heart now. Cause I go with <laughs> Brett to all these youth programs and um, none of them want to hear me talk, but um, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to university of Delaware. Uh, Brett mentioned his recruiting trip. Uh, we won't really focus on that cause it wouldn't be appropriate, but we're going to talk about some of the highlights and some of the coaches. So, I think I'll tell you what stood out for me. Uh, some of the coaches like Coach Schillinglaw, who uh, actually liked uh, my post on Facebook when I posted the podcast. So, I Coach Schills. Coach Schills, if you're still listening in episode six, uh, we love you. We miss you. Um, coach Warren there, who became the head coach at Georgetown. Um, Judd Lattimore, who later was the head coach at uh, Holy Cross. And then Chris Collins, who you mentioned as a guy that was a captain and a leader. Um, but also one of our friends who, who became one of our coaches and, um, and really we've been able to kept, keep in contact with since then. We went to the NCAA Final Four in 2005. We lost to Navy. That was your freshman year. And then um, in 2007, we went to the Final Four and had this ridiculous run that ended at the hands of Paul Rabel and Johns Hopkins at M&T Bank Stadium in Coach Leahy's hometown. Um, but really just wanted to hear from you on that ride at Delaware. Yeah, like I kind of mentioned earlier, it was a rude awakening for me when I got there. I can remember us practicing in September and be like, why we got our pads on in September? Like, why are they giving us all this gear right now? And us trekking over behind the ice hockey rink, we're playing on these grass fields, which they're used for tailgating for football games. Like three days beforehand, there's like some coal in certain parts. Times have obviously changed at the University of Delaware. Like everything's turf. Um, but doing this and going up against these guys that have been playing their whole life. And here's a guy from Long Island, another guy from Annapolis. There's a guy from Denver. I'm like, oh my God. Like, and then you get to know guys. And I say, hey, I'm from Newtown, Pennsylvania. And the guys that are from Philly would it be like, oh, like Newtown Square. That's cool. And I'd be like, yeah. no, 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 no. You know where like Sesame Place is? I grew up on like that side. 
near Yardley. They're like, oh, okay, like, let's go, what's over there? Because no one ever goes on that side of 95. So um, to go to Delaware, and that was, and it was tough too. Like my, I, like I was saying earlier, I had to learn so much from just not only like the stick skills um, and the speed of the game, but also everything else which came along with it, like scouting reports and how much you lift and the film that you have to watch. That was all brand new to me. And I just had to try to soak it in and put a good smile on my face because I was the big fish in a small pond um, coming from Holy Ghost where, you know, I played every single sport and I played every single minute of every game. And we were very successful when I was there um, in every sport. You know, like my senior year, we lost in soccer, the state semifinals in overtime. Senior year of basketball, we lost by two points in the state championship. Uh, senior year of lacrosse, we went to uh, – the, back then, I think it was called like the Keystone Cup or something like that. We ended up going to the state tournament. So, I mean, for me not playing, I kind of accepted in a way as long as I knew that I was getting better. And I knew that on the, when I was playing the scout team. Like, I played the scout team as a freshman. I played in two games. There were blowout, blowouts over like St. Joe's and I don't know who the other team was. And I just remember going into that game against Navy my freshman year. Uh, Greg Carroll was like, you might get some midfield runs. And I'm looking at him like it's crazy. He's like, no, you might get some because when I ran scout team, the Navy scout team, I was like unstoppable playing their style of offense. He's like, we might need you in here. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. Like we're at Navy. They're coming out the American flag. Um, it was kind of like a once in a lifetime experience. But some of the guys we had on that team was awesome. Like Alex Smith. I mean, he's one of the best faceoff guys of all time. I mentioned Jordan Hall was phenomenal. Um, Curtis Dixon. Obviously, like a little bit later, uh, he's younger than me, but he's still, when we were, you were a senior, Marty, and I was a junior, Curtis was a freshman, so I played with them for two years, but it was, I mean, during that, that time span, like, you had the best face-off guy that ever went there, you know, that we got to play with. Rewrote, rewrote all the record books, all, face-off wins, face-off percentage, ground balls in a game, ground balls in a season, career. career. He was unreal. It was unreal, and we didn't think those records were getting touched because the guy that he beat with Steve Shaw was a Delaware guy. Right. And Steve Shaw's, if anyone knows him, he's like, you know, Mr. Baltimore lacrosse. He's great. Um, still a huge Blue Hen uh, alumni. And that's the guy that he beat. It wasn't like it was a Towson guy or a UNC guy or Loyola. He was beating his, this own Delaware guy who set all these records. So to have him, um, you know, we played with guys that are arguably the best that have ever come through there at their position at Delaware. If you look at Alex Smith, Jordan Hall might be the best midfielder that ever came out of there. The only one that you won it was Curtis Dixon because he's only behind John Grant Jr. I mean, he's building quite a resume, and too. He's, got yeah, it, yeah. he's still going. So it's like, I mean, they how many, both are. Like, there's not many people that can say, oh, like, we have a better attackman that's come through our program. It's like, oh, you know, anyone would be lucky to have Curtis. And the only guy that, we, you know, John Grant Jr., who's on my Mount Rushmore for lacrosse players. Yeah. So uh, there was obviously so many good guys that we got to play with and making the tournament as a freshman and going to the Final Four. As a, as a junior was obviously a highlight of my lacrosse career and something I'll, I'll never forget, but also like just the guys I was with, um, you know, my recruiting class and, you know, even like the Philly guys, that's how we became really good friends with Marty. Um, was certainly, and being so close to kind of home, but yet far away at the University of Delaware. But we had some guys that were just some bad dudes on the lacrosse field. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a very good, I know it was an awesome four years for me. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but I certainly learned a lot. And it's not like, oh, you've been a professional for 12 years. You know, everything must have been easy. I wasn't on the field as a freshman, you know, and, and, and sophomore year I played D-Midi. It was me and two other guys. Um, and then by the time I was a junior and senior, like I would never come off the field. So uh, it certainly didn't happen overnight. 
as I was writing notes about the Delaware section here, I wrote SSD MIDI. Can you tell us a little bit about that Halloween costume? Yeah, I don't. Was it a Halloween costume? It was a Halloween. Or a way of life. Yeah, it was a Halloween costume. One of my best friends there was uh, Drew Turner. Uh, He played defensive midfield. We were on a line together, and um, Drew had a ton of energy, another great leader. He was from Annapolis, Maryland, um, and we were like a one-two punch at that defensive midfield position. And I remember trying to find out what a Halloween costume I was going to be one year. And actually, my mom... (laughs) She was like, hey, like, I heard this great idea about uh, people that were whitewater rafters. So myself and Drew Turner, we went on like a little field trip one day, and we ended up basically getting those portable uh, storage containers. We cut the bottom out, we put rope in it, and we spray-painted waves on there. So it almost looked like a little boat or a kayak, and we called ourselves the SFD Mids. Wow. And we went around to like... Um, Every party on campus. Every party on campus. And we're like, who are these obnoxious guys? But everyone knew we were kind of obnoxious at the time. And it's like you couldn't get any more because no one could move when we were there. (laughs) And we had paddles and we had the helmets and everything. Um, And we kind of took that as like a way to life. It was funny. Boy, I hate to break up this uh, walk down Delaware lane. You guys are. Yeah, totally. Got Halloween costumes. We got it all going on here. You know, I couldn't help but smile again in how different not, not only we are as players, but our experiences when you're going through getting to Delaware saying, how do I do a scouting report? And how do I, <laughs> I'm thinking of my years at Calvert Hall and the MIA where you knew your scouting report yep. inside and out. You sat down for film session and got blown up as you critiqued the film. Coach Thomas was unbelievable. And then clock management and weight room, keeping our charts, like just different. When I showed up at Loyola, I was ready to go although not the athlete. So just a whole different experience, a whole different view. And then, you know, the guys on my team at Calvert Hall, we had like 20 All-Americans. We had yep. from Brian Kelly, All-American at, Cal- at uh, Carolina, now head coach at Calvert Hall. Chris Colbeck, one of the best lacrosse minds I've ever known, now coaching down in Tennessee after some national championships at UVA back, back in the 90s. So you just crack me up, coach. I could listen to you all day long and think it's the anti-bill over there. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> It's funny, just like there's experience, but that's what makes lacrosse great at the end of the day, too. And like, you know, you it's funny now, like we have this great connection and great friendship that you live like, you know, a mile, not even maybe a mile away from where I grew up. Um, and Newtown Elementary is where I used to play wall ball all the time. So it's it certainly uh, it's it's funny how everyone has different stories and different backgrounds. But that's one of the great things about lacrosse is just the community and probably you were going to Loyola, you might knew some of the guys that were in your recruiting class. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any, if anybody was good at, at Delaware and who they were. And now, nowadays, so many kids know through social media and playing club, like, oh, man, like Marty, yeah, he plays for prime time. Man, we played against him in that, in that tournament. Man, he's going to be my teammate. That's awesome. He's so good. I didn't know any of the guys how good they were. And I was probably the last kid in our recruiting class because I told them at Delaware when I was deciding, I was like, I'm going to decide after my basketball season's done. And we ended up going to state championship. So I didn't tell them until like the last week of March, my senior year. Times have obviously changed, but you know, I was a no money guy coming in there. I was, you know, hey, we'll take this guy and, and see what I got. I had a scholarship from being a scholar athlete from Bucks County, but I didn't have any money from Delaware Lacrosse to go play lacrosse there. So that was uh, it was completely different too, because I was just clueless about who guys were, where they came from, like Boys Latin was good on lacrosse. Like, I didn't know that, but I also think it helped me in a way that I wasn't, you know, just looking at all these stars and be like, oh, man, I, I'm afraid to go against him because he went to St. Paul's or, oh, he's a Manhasset kid. He must be really good. 
I was just like, nope, just like kind of a kid from Newtown here. I got a stick in my hand and I'm going to go because even um, at Holy Ghost, when I would go back to school after I was at Delaware, people thought I was playing basketball at Delaware. <laughs> they thought I was playing soccer. Like, hey, how's the basketball team going? How are you guys doing this year? I'm like, I'm playing lacrosse there. They're like, oh, wow. So many people didn't even know that I was playing lacrosse when I went back home and went back to my high school games and stuff, um, which is certainly interesting. But uh, go my last point about Delaware is if people haven't seen it, I, I wrote it down. He has one of the best goals it's, even to this day I've ever seen was Marty. We were playing Towson. He cuts the crease on the wrong side of the crease and he gets a bad pass. And he actually like almost like a tennis racket barely touches it behind his back. He doesn't even catch it. And it one bounces and goes in the top corner of the net. And to this day, I think it made a couple of rounds on maybe lax power. You know, some people were commenting on it. Uh, RIP will pour some out for lax power later. But that was to this day one of like the most incredible goals I've ever seen that, that Marty had. I appreciate that, man. It was before the social media era, as I've heard Kevin Crowley say, like, I played in the wrong era. Yeah. I didn't score as many goals as Kevin Crowley. So I value that one pretty, uh, pretty heavily. But the Towson goalie is still looking for the ball. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on to pros, uh, uh, I, I could not believe, um, and Brett's touched on it a little bit, he basically outworked everyone at Delaware. And uh, he went from a fringe guy to being a dominant short stick defensive midfielder. And in his college career, he was eventually shutting off not only the other team's best midfielders, but sometimes attackmen. Um, and he did it with a lot of swagger and um, a, a good amount of trash talk too. So always loved the way he played and the enthusiasm he brought. Um, Brett, talk to us about getting to the pro level. Where were the breaks there? Who was telling you you could do it? Um, who was telling you you couldn't do it? And, and how did things go? Because eventually you were playing in both professional leagues, the indoor and the outdoor. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize maybe how good I was until my senior year when Chris Collins, you know, a guy that my senior year was a, a senior, and then when he graduated, he was on staff at Delaware as one of the coaches, was like, dude, like, you are a legit lacrosse player. Yeah. I'm like, whatever, man. Like, no way. He goes, yeah. Like, you should enter in the MLL draft. And I was like, sure, whatever. Not thinking anything of it. And then I, I put my name in. Um, and I remember I was actually at a Phillies game um, with J.J. Moran. And my phone rang. And it was like the Bayhawks. Like, hey, we just want to let you know, like, you want to be a Bayhawk? And I'm like, yeah. Was Sounds it Coach, great. Coach Cottle or who called? Uh, who called you? It wasn't Coach Cottle back then. I think it was like uh, the GM. Okay. If I could, I'm drawing a blank on who it was because it was many moons ago. And I was just more concerned. I mean, the Phillies were awesome during that time. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I was more concerned about the Phillies game. But at the same point in time, you're like, oh, this is really cool. Wow. Strapped it uh, with their second pick, 31st overall. Um, and played that rookie year. And man, it was, it was, uh, it was like kind of almost being a freshman again at Delaware. Just like, how fast the game was. It was completely different from college in so many ways from the locker room to post game to the game itself and what, you know, happened during the week and you're actually getting paid to play. Um, but I remember Chris telling me about that. And then also too, you know, halfway through the ML season, cause he also played in the Bayhawks. We did a lot of commuting together. He's like, dude, you ever consider playing indoor? I go, no, never. <laughs> he goes, why don't you put your name in for the indoor stuff? Uncle as well. Chris, you all uncle Chris. Like that's why he got the nickname. And, um, you know, he steered me towards that. I put my name in, and I remember one guy, Doug Locker, uh, he was also GM of the San Francisco Dragons back in the day. And he saw me play college at Delaware, and then he saw me play, uh, you know, pro outdoor at the Bayhawks. And he was also a GM for the San Jose Stealth and the Dragons. And he goes, hey, like, we love your style. We would think you would be a great guy. We saw your name get entered. We're going to take you in the draft. 
oh man, this is awesome. This is so cool. Like I'm on top of the world. I'm 22 years old. Don't take me. Draft goes by. I don't even get a single phone call from not even my hometown team, the Wings, but also this guy who really was the only other guy. Who's like, hey, we're gonna take you. So then I remember he called me up like the next day. Hey, we're gonna sign you as undrafted rookie free agent. Um, and then I ended up playing indoor. That for, I was a healthy scratch my first game, and I played the rest 15 regular season games, um, which is you know just shows you kind of that leap because I just want same thing. I didn't know what I was doing, and I wanted to be great. Uh, and I saw that through just like oh, this guy does this, and I had great guys around me too that showed great leadership and patience with me. They were like Kyle Sorensen, Mike Grimes, um, this Eric Martin, who was one of the best American players of all time, Emart. These guys were like taking me underneath their wings off the floor, be like, hey, let's do this. Whether it was practice, Brett, do that. Uh, because they had so much knowledge, and that helped me grow to the player I am today. Um, fast forward 12 years, you know, playing indoor and outdoor has just been unreal experiences with the, the guys that, you know, I know on a first-name basis that I can th- scroll through the Rolodex on my phone, uh, have all these guys' names and text messages and conversations and hug it out, bro hugs when we see each other. It's kind of surreal. I was going to ask you, was there a welcome to the league moment that you can remember in either the, the Bayhawks or the stealth experience? With the Bayhawks, my first game, I was going for a ground ball and like just thought I was just going to pick it up and it's going to be no big deal. And this dude rocks me, <laughs> like rocks me down on the ground. I was like, oh, like I'm here. And because that didn't really happen much in college. Yeah. And uh, with indoor, it was probably my first exhibition game. We were playing at the Pepsi Center in Denver. And they had like ten or 11,000 people there for an exhibition game. And, you know, the air's different there. I remember running like two shifts and just being like, <sighs> like out of breath, like a panting dog. And be like, wow, like this game is fast. There's 11,000 people here for an exhibition game. And, you know, I'm glad I invested in um, some kidney, some rib pads after not having them the first two weeks. Those were kind of like my welcome to the league moments. All right, next we're going to talk about just being a, an athlete in your hometown, um, going from the stealth to the wings. And um, what was that like getting to play in, you know, the, the facility where you've probably watched a ton of professional sports? So my first two years, so I was out in San Jose, and then the team relocated to Everett, Washington, which is about 30, 40 minutes north of Seattle. So every week I was flying across country for six months to play lacrosse from San Jose, which was usually Denver to San Jose or Phoenix to San Jose, Chicago. Every week was a different plan. And then the next year I asked them, I was like, hey, can you guys, now we're in Seattle, can I get a direct flight? So every (laughs) Thursday or Friday morning, I had a direct flight Philly to Seattle. And we won the championship that year. Uh, which was such a surreal and unreal experience at the same time. And I was like, you know what? I asked the GM, go, I paid my dues. You know what I mean? I paid my dues. I was out there for two years. I was young. Uh, I learned a lot. I won a championship. Do you mind, you know, trading me? Trade me back east because this is with work and everything else. I'm missing a lot. And I I know there's a ton of teams on the east, preferably Philadelphia. (laughs) So they made a trade um, for Bobby Snyder. Jeff Snyder's little brother. It was literally just a one-for-one trade. Uh, And I ended up going to Philadelphia. And, man, like playing there for the four to five years I was with the Wings was unreal because just the history and the guys, as as Bill Bill has mentioned before, there's so many proud Wing alumni that would come back and speak and be like, man, with with Bergie and going to games and seeing Tom Ryan. And, you know, you get to hear some some more stories from Tony Resch and Gabrielson and the Gate Brothers and Hollywood Marichek. 
uh, Dallas Elliott, like the list goes on and on. And then to see these crazy fans that are cheering for you was certainly surreal. Um, and then to have my friends and family, you know, when, when, when you, Marty, you would go to the game and some guys from Delaware, my high school to play in front of them was, you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. So that was something not many pro athletes can say, Hey, like I played for my hometown team and in the same building where I watched Iverson play Jordan, uh, or watch Lindros play Messier. That is something which, uh, you know, I thought of when I was there and I never took that for granted. And, um, as you know, I play with a lot of passion and I'm like, you know, that's something Philadelphia fans are used to and want to see. And I might not have been, um, so I'm like the most gifted when it comes to skill, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to leave it all out on the floor every time. And I'm going to make sure that these fans are paying good money, hard earned money to watch. I'm going to make sure they know they can appreciate that. I like playing for them because I am them just not now tomorrow when they switch this turf over to hardwood, I'm going to be that fan that's rooting for the Sixers. And when someone doesn't do well, I'm going to boo them. Like, that's in my DNA. So just think that just because I'm a professional athlete doesn't change when, you know, I've been to Eagles games with, with, with Marty and, and, you know, go to Sixers and stuff. Like, I'm still a, a regular fan. Um, so, but playing at the Wells Fargo Center and having that opportunity is, is unreal. I'm a convert to the, to the Philly side, but you and Coach Resch share that deep sense of Philly pride. You know, and having started the program at LaSalle when we were good enough to go to Baltimore, it would be Coach Resch saying to the boys, like, Philly ball. Yep. You know, and it was funny. One of, one of the memories I'll have of working with Coach all those years was we were X and Oing to death, and he just put his hand down the table and was like, this is not you and Loyola and Dave Cottle. <laughs> just run by somebody, and on the other end, don't get run by. That's yep. how we play lacrosse in Philly. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not how we play lacrosse in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just great to listen to you guys talk. There's a sense of we're, we're late to the game. Don't mess with us. We'll figure this out. We're tough. Let's go play lacrosse. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to get the job done. That's it. And it's kind of like steak, steak and potatoes in a way, kind of the way Philadelphia lacrosse is. And, um, and you got to just appreciate it. And, you know, the people here are so passionate. And when I've grown up in this area my entire life and I still live here, that's one thing that you totally cherish how passionate the fans are. And if you can give that back to them, it's, uh, you know, they, they love it. That's why people love Brian Dawkins. He's not the most gifted football player in Eagles history, but why you still see people with Brian Dawkins jersey on? It's like he appreciated and played with so much passion and appreciated the fans. And Iverson, you know, it was the same way. And I kind of wanted to do that and show that passion, which I have, to those fans. So I kind of did like the I do the Iverson ear clap and everything. I got that from him. But he's basically showing the fans, like, let's go. I thought he got that from you. <laughs> I don't think he's watching. Bubba Chuck's watching much lacrosse. Yeah, Brett, I mean, you got to it. But I was going to say one of the things that stood out to me, well, two things would be, one was the, the ear clap, you know, and, and putting your, your hand to your ear and asking for the Philly fans to make some noise. We always got a kick out of that and scream like maniacs. But the second thing would just be, I feel like you were always the guy at the community service events or, you know, raising awareness for different things and <clears throat> using your platform as a professional athlete with the wings, but going and doing every single appearance you could or going to a hospital or a classroom and eating that stuff up, which I think um, really helped people get to know you as just, man, he's a good guy. And I think it's always been impressive to me, your commitment to service. So just to hear a little bit about you giving back. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of professional teams try to do is have guys out in the community and whether it's, you know, something that's charitable, 
um, that they're going to, whether they're going to like a, a kid's hospital and trying to put a smile on somebody's face. That's what a lot of sports teams are trying to do to get out in the community. And obviously the wings were no different when they were here of trying to get myself out and other guys. And look, like it's something where it's like, hey, it might be 7.30 a.m. on a Tuesday and you're going to have to do this. It might be 6 or 7 o'clock at night uh, in a bad neighborhood in Philadelphia. You might have to do this. There's some guys that like just didn't have great attitudes about it there too. They were like, I don't really want to do this. How much am I going to get paid to go to this, this, that, and the other? And for me, I mean, it was giving back to the city and fans that gave so much to me. And if you can make the difference on uh, a kid that's sick in the hospital and put a smile on their face, or whether you're teaching a kid in a, in a very poor neighborhood how to catch and throw for the first time, that goes a very long way. And it, it matters even more to me just because this is where I grew up. This is where I live. And these are the people that I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be uh, influencing directly being from Philadelphia. So to be able to give back to your hometown um, in so many different ways, I found was rewarding. And, you know, I appreciate the, the Wings ownership and management at that point in time to get me out there, whether it's like, oh, you're on a radio show or, hey, can you do this? Can you go to this hospital? You know, it was, it was rarely a no by me and no questions asked that that's something I wanted to do. Fantastic. So, Brett, we talked a little bit about the club. Uh, basically, you helped me, along with Andy Hayes, start the next lacrosse club out of Episcopal Academy. Uh, I was a teacher there. Andy was a teacher there. Um, but really, you were the, the pro lacrosse player and kind of the poster boy for next for a while. Um, something not everyone probably knows is you know, your real first job with next um, revolved around events. And I think it'd be great for someone that knows you maybe just as a box player or maybe just as um, a box coach or a next club coach um, your side of the business here at next yeah so my exact title is the vp of sales and recruiting at next so i'm in charge of overseeing all of our boys events uh, which we run so that's all over the country and busy seasons are six weeks in the fall from october 19th and november 23rd and then from May 16th to July 19th in the summer, really. You're not um, organized at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a great team now. Like, we have a whole operations team, Lorraine, Colleen, Brooks Melvin, uh, great interns that help us out in the summertime. My colleague, Ryan Long, is the best, is bit, best in the business for what he does. So I think which is very valuable and what I learned from playing sports is how to be a team player. And even though we are a sports company here at Next, if everyone didn't, play sports and use that at a professional level, um, I think we wouldn't be as successful. But we have a lot of people with backgrounds from collegiate or high school sports. So I got to make sure that the events we're running are top-notch. They're at elite facilities. Um, you know, there's great teamwork, which is there. And, you know, at the same point in time, when the events are going on, how to manage people's expectations, like how to calm a, a dad down because his team didn't make the playoffs. Or, and they're coming up, coming up to our 10 or a coach that's complaining about a kid's stick being too long or, you know, a, a parent that is on a ref. Um, there's a lot of things which you have to uh, encounter and deal with. And I, I love every moment of it, being able to – there's so many different club guys, which I know from being around it, uh, referees, seeing so many referees and having a great banner with them. Um, Paul Kubak, who's our ref assigner, is, he's an incredible guy, LaSalle guy. Um, I love Paul and everything which he does and being able to interact with the referees and then the different facilities and obviously seeing so many kids, whether it's a showcase or a team event. And uh, if we run a great event, like we can change a kid's life. You know, I think that's why college coaches like coming to our recruiting events because they're so organized. Our, our college books are so dialed in. 
our schedule is, you know, we're great facilities. So if a team goes and it's the Fighting Clams versus PBL um, and they're playing a game that is supposed to be at that time, it's the right roster books, it's in there correctly, that, that's um, field three at United Sports at 2 o'clock. College coaches want to go watch that game. They're going there, they're watching them, and a kid might be his final eval and might go play lacrosse at Dartmouth because of us running a great event and putting it um, out there to make him be seen well. So uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Obviously, used to coach a lot more on the club side, but because the events have really grown leaps and bounds in the past couple of years, haven't really had that opportunity as much, but um, really just running the events. Talk to me more about the growth of the events. Uh, when I explain it to someone, I, I basically say, well, we used to run really good events in the in our mid-Atlantic region, and then people all over the country with great facilities started saying, hey, you guys run really good events. Come here um, and use our facilities. And I'm amazed in the summer when I'm at a tournament, I think it's hard for our club to be in two different places. But the, just about every weekend in the summer, our company is in two, three, four different places running major events. And uh, we're at a point now where you know, it seems to, to go really well every time, and you're a big part of that, but you know, tell us more about it. Yeah, I, uh, in the beginning, I was wearing multiple hats of running an event, and then next thing you know, if it was in the Philadelphia area, our next teams were probably playing. So I was running the event, next was playing, go coach them, come back, run the event, go coach them. So I was like going back and forth a lot. But we have 45 different events now throughout the country with boys and girls, as far south as like the Tampa, Tampa area, as far west as uh, Louisville, Texas, which is right near Dallas. Uh, we also have events in Chicago, Detroit, um, South Carolina, North Carolina, and then obviously in the Mid-Atlantic region, our farthest, farthest north event is uh, at Yale in New Haven. We partner with Andy Shea to run the Bulldog Bash. So being able to run, you know, and on all types of events, we run girls' events, which we weren't doing a few years ago. So when we first started, it was just, you know, running boys' events, and we had the girls' showcase, but it was just the girls' showcase to now running multiple, uh, you know, it's the 11th year of the Philly Boys Showcase, which is our flagship event, uh, partner with, with Nike as, as the, the title sponsor for that, to having box events. We have three box events. One of them's in Chicago, um, to having, like I said, girls events and these events all over the country. I mean, our largest event is in Indianapolis. We have 230 teams between boys and girls at 30 fields in Indianapolis. They have three indoor turf fields at this place, Grand Park, um, nine actual turf fields outside, and that is quite the weekend. You know, we say, hey, we need our, our varsity staff there, and it's kind of cool. We get, like, kind of Airbnb. We get a house. There's all these people from next there. I think this past year is maybe 10 people on staff that went to run that event, where usually a typical event is four, three. Um, it's, it can be a bear sometimes, especially in the summer when it's, like, seven weeks and, you know, maybe your only day off is a Tuesday. Sometimes my only day off is a half a day. But if you're doing what you love, you know, you're, you're not really working. And also I look at is too, is from the youth side, we're creating memories that these parents and kids are going to remember for the rest of their life. And we're bringing them together for a weekend of lacrosse, whether it's local or it's a national thing. And then on the high school side, you know, you're making a difference where that kid might get recruited to go to his dream school based off of you running uh, an elite event. All right, Brett, we've heard a lot about your playing career. Uh, I would assume one of the greatest honors is probably putting on the red, white, and blue, which you've been able to do a couple times, um, and as well um, be on the, the, the leadership part of that. So um, talk to us about you playing for Team USA and what that's been like. 
It's certainly an honor, and I feel like a lot of times when guys talk about playing for Team USA, sometimes it becomes a cliche, like there's no greater honor than wearing the red, white, and blue and suiting up for your country, and that's 100% true. Um, in my opinion, like the best warm-up song is the national anthem. There's nothing better when you hear a great national anthem before you're about to play to be like, yo, I am ready to rock. Um, there's nothing more deflating when you're like, oh, that's not a great national anthem. This is our country's song. This is like the best thing is what the foundation of our country is on is the national anthem. So when you were able to wear that in a uh, quick story, when we were out in Vancouver, I had to grab the team meeting, got all the guys together, no coaches. And I was like, toward and winners, check. High school national champions, check. College national champions, correct, check. PLL champs, check. MLL champs, check. NLL champs, check. Team USA, not U19, check. Team USA outdoor, check. I go, we have the greatest assessment and maybe the most collective, uh, successful collective athletes here that have won at every level of the team from the highest standpoint and also from the individual. I mean, Rambo takes a lot of those. Credit to, to Rambo with some of those individual awards and also team. But um, you, I said, that, I was like, look, there's only one thing missing here on the U.S. lacrosse, and this is the indoor and winning that. And I think some of the guys never really, when you put together all the teams, the guys that we had on the team collectively and where they came from and what they accomplished, that that's the only thing that that team was missing off the bucket list. Um, but I think it's one of those things for me. I never would have thought when I was, I didn't pick up a stick until I was 14. And that was really to have a catch with my sister who was playing as a freshman at Villa Joseph Marie. And my dad went to Dick's and bought us sticks just to have a catch with her. And the next year I was at Lower Bucks and they put us on like this little B team, my brother and I, to, um, to play. And I was just practicing once a week and playing Hopewell Township or whatever on the weekends. And I was learning a little bit here and there. But to go from there when I was 14 to now being, you know, a multiple member of the national team, I would have never thought that was the case. And I tell people all the time, like, I didn't care about individual accolades. When I was at Holy Ghost, you could tell what was really important by it got its own white banner that was state championships. And when I was there, I wanted to be like, you know what, when I leave, I want to look back and be like, you know what, I helped add one of those white banners. I helped add one of those white banners. That's what was more, most important because my dad and, and, and mom had me in basketball team sport, soccer team sport, lacrosse. I wasn't playing, I wasn't playing tennis. I wasn't doing golf. Um, and I think that really helped mold me as a, as a person by playing these team sports. And I tell this to some people, it's like when I left Holy Ghost Prep, okay, I was not an All-American. I was not All-State. I was not even the uh, player of the year in, in Bucks County. And there was only like eight, ten teams playing. And I was the only kid going to Division I. I wasn't even the player of the year. Uh, Denny was not MVP of my conference. And I still got to go to Delaware. And I was fortunate enough to do that. Then I got to Delaware. I wasn't All-American. I never was on an all-conference team. Um, you know, all, I never won like an MVP or anything like that. And now it goes into, and then I'll say, oh, like you're a professional player. And now things like start to change. So I never worried about these individual accomplishments. It was always about the team for me. And when you're on, there's no more ultimate team than Team USA and being able to play with those guys and uh, the names that, that, you know, I can just rattle off is phenomenal. Um, because those guys, some of them are younger or older. It's just an honor to play with those guys and to be part of that leadership council as well. Um, it was great. So the last, you know, five, six years that, that I've been doing that seven have been, uh, quite the experience and so rewarding. Um, and, at the end of the day. and now the current U S lacrosse magazine back cover, full page photo shoot. Love it coach. Yeah. 
What was uh, that like? Uh, <laughs> that, that was very humbling. Um, when I got the, the email from Matt De Silva saying, hey, we want to uh, highlight you for the U.S. across. And I said, hey, was this actually, is this actually the, the back article? And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, actually, that's the one thing I look forward to every month in that magazine because then you get to know people's personalities. And some, some people might know me as Brett Manny who runs events. Some people might know me as Brett Manny, the professional lacrosse player. Um, and then there's just some people, if they don't know any better, just know me as Brett Manny. And that actually allows a little bit of my personality to come out and, and, um, and show that for a little bit more than just what I am or what people perceive me as. So that was really cool, the fact that they, they chose me to do that. Because like I said, I always look forward to whoever it is, whether it was, a, I think the girl before me was the uh, girl from Stony Brook, Olinger. I might be messing up her name. Oh Miller. Oh Miller, yeah. Um, so I remember like, reading about her and some other guys. It certainly um, was very humbling and something very cool, which I'm sure I'll have to put somewhere on my fridge. Brett, my last question uh, before you have homework due to Coach Leahy for our listeners would be, um, are there any guys that you've coached with next that stand out or um, you feel like you'd like to give a shout-out to? Uh, there's a few. I mean, if you're looking at the pillars, the guys who really uh, helped put us on the map, there is our first team, the 2014. So all those guys, uh, they graduated high school in 2014. And, you know, Luke Gomez was kind of that uh, very subtle, soft-spoken captain who was, uh, went to actually our second div- second recruit because we had Jack Riley was our first ever Division One recruit. Um, and he committed as a freshman in Virginia and Luke committed like a week or two later to Hofstra. So he had a great career at Hofstra. Um, Brooks Melvin, who now works in our office. I mean, talk about that, man. Like, how cool is that? Here's a kid that played for us. He was that great teammate. And he was that great anything. teammate. You know, he was so hyped when guys scored. But we now have the, the luxury to reward him with a full-time job. Like how many club programs can say like, hey, now this guy works for his full time. He's got benefits, you know, like he's got a salary. And, and it's his dream job, which is really cool that he went to college. Every project he could do, he's calling me to make it his project about next mm-hmm. and sports management. So it all comes full circle. And then, um, you know, with their 2016 team, uh, that was, man, what an unbelievable club team with the talent that you that we had. And I tell people about it all the time. But the one guy kind of stood out and. Uh, I'm not surprised that he's had the success which he does is Ryan Terrafinko. He actually, when I used to run my own camp at the George School, Ryan lived in Reading, and George School's in Newtown, <laughs> and he came to the camp Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's like legit an hour and 15-minute commute. And he went to it just because it was my camp. Yeah. And then he ended up trying out for next, and when he tried out, he was maybe the ninth or 10th kid, and we're like, you know what? we got to put this kid on the team. He's dedicated. Like, he was going to my camp, this, that, and the other. And I remember his player meeting when he was a freshman. Like, dude, you need to have a lot to work on. And he came back that year in the summer where he was maybe on the third midfield line, and he was a first midfield line player for us. Where it's like, we can't take this kid off the field. And I remember he really wanted to go to big lacrosse, like big school, whether it was like uh, a Michigan or a Maryland school that had big football or basketball. And, um, you know, all these kind of like middle tier, uh, smaller maybe Division One schools were all over him. And he thought he could get at that opportunity – and finally, Ohio State had it. And we were preaching to him, to everybody, preaching. Like, you don't know what this kid does behind the scenes. He doesn't miss practice. His commute is so long, and he's there every time, the hardest working kid we have. And to see him go to Ohio State, um, and I remember telling Coach Brad Ross and Coach Myers, who we all love here at the podcast, and I love Coach Myers as well, being like, he's going to be not a captain. I'm like, he's going to be a two-time captain for you. 
that's how much you're going to love this kid. He's going to be one of the best players you ever had. Now, fast forward, it's his senior year. He's a two-time captain, and he's a three-time All-American going into his senior year. So, you know, from him, when he graduates, he might be, if not, the most have the most accolades um, as a player at Ohio State. And I remember he sent us an email one time, Coop, when we were like, he was going to Ohio State, just thanking us, and me like tearing up down the shore reading that email of just like the impact that you can have. And that's the power of coaching at the end of the day. The most valuable people in my life have been teachers and coaches. I still see my fifth grade teacher every year, Bert Eckelmeyer, shout out, Newton Elementary. I still go see him because the impact he had on my life. Um, and it's funny, we actually talk lacrosse because he's actually good friends with the Amens. And you remember him telling me about Grant Amen when he was in like fifth grade when I was going back and I'm listening, hearing that name, hearing it. And then when Grant eventually went to have for being like, wow, I remember hearing about him from uh, Mr. Eckelmeyer. But the power of teachers and coaches and Obviously, some of the kids that we've had at Next have been awesome. Richie Palazzi, another one that um, sticks out. He's a 2014 kid. Um, but all those kids have been great. AJ Witherall at you know Washington and Lee, like what he did Old-timer. at the Division Three level was great. So many Division One schools passed up on him and the career that he had there, um, being like the attackman of the year. But I, you know, it's hard to name all of them, but there's just a few that stick out. Coach, it was great to have you. Love your stories. Thanks for all you've done for Philly Lacrosse. This is my favorite part of the show. Kind of wrap it up, bring it home. A little homework section. You're on a shot clock. So I'm going to ask you what's some quick homework if you were speaking to a player, mm-hmm. then a parent, then a coach, and then what have you been listening to or reading lately? So you ready to roll? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Homework for a player who's listening. Technology. I think that's uh, one of the best things that they have is everything at their fingertips. Go, uh, on, you can even do it at your phone. Go watch, you know, a great college lacrosse game on your phone if you can't make it. You know, that's what's the best thing about kids living in Oklahoma or something. You can watch Maryland play Loyola on your phone, easily accessible, and be like, what is that defender doing? Look how you can hear guys talk on defense. Like Tucker Durkin, you can hear him talk when you're watching a game on TV. Um, and, you know, you can also watch a box game, and you can watch a, a pro game. So technology is huge. The more they can use that to their advantage – and uh, I think is only going to make them better players. Homework for a parent who's listening. Homework for a parent that's, that's listening is take a breath. Uh, I think a lot of times parents always want to win, and they always want their, their kid to be the best, where it's like, you know what, take a deep breath, and it, make sure your kid's doing it for the right reason. He's having fun. You know, it's not, you don't live vicariously through your, your son or daughter. It is about having them enjoy the experience. Uh, and I have the best mom and dad in the world. Uh, make no mistake about it. And I feel like they all—they never pushed me to do anything I didn't want to do. And if they wanted me to play basketball, go play basketball in college. You want to go play soccer? Go play soccer. You want to play lacrosse? Go play lacrosse. But you know, trust and and listen to your kids and take a breath when you do it. Great answer, Coach. And under the shot clock. Good job, Bud. Thank you. I think I beat Law there. <laughs> Homework for a coach. Homework for a coach. Uh, I would say is to uh, expand your horizons. One of the great things about uh, Coach Meyer is we ran an event with them uh, in the Atlanta area. It's like he invited local high school coaches to come watch them at practice. So if you're a local high school coach out there, go uh, send an email to Coach Ray at St. Joe's and ask to stop by his practice. You know, go go over to uh, Coach Volker at Drexel. If you're in the Philadelphia area, in Maryland, go reach out to Coach Toomey at, at Loyola. Coach Van Arsdale, hey, do you mind if I go uh, go to practice and I can just watch and maybe you can pick up on a drill and just introduce yourself. You never know. Because those guys want 
want you to be there because what they're doing obviously is to make those kids better but also too like if they can help out a local coach and that makes their program better that just makes the game better that's what makes lacrosse better I, I tell people all the time man like it's those 42 to 60 inches that you have with a lacrosse stick is going to give you the next 42 to 60 inches of your life whether that's through friendship whether it's through like you know meeting your future wife whether it's through you know teammates uh, or uh, being a coach that connection it's so powerful Thanks, Coach. All right, Brett Manny, what's he listening to these days, reading or watching? Uh, well, I just got uh, my, my newest book. Ever since I got uh, we, the Philadelphia Wings moved to New England, uh, I fly every weekend. So I started taking in a, a lot more reading. Um, and actually, the book that I'm reading now is Scott Pelly from 60 Minutes. He's got a book called It's Truth Worth Telling about some of the, the different stories he's done. I love 60 Minutes, watching that on Sunday night kind of after football. Um, so Scott Pelley, I think is an awesome interviewer and what I'm listening to fortunate enough. I have XM radio. I love listening to Howard Stern. I think that guy is also a great interviewer. I'm just a big fan of like kind of some nonfiction stuff and, and what people have to say and their stuff like podcasts. We know when I'm at, at work, uh, different things, but in the morning I like to listen to, um, you know, if I can, um, Howard Stern and also, you know, reading, reading books like Scott Pelley. Is, is something and I love leadership books um, also stuff with like the Marines and um, Navy SEALs and how they do different type of things as well you know one of the, the best books I've ever read was uh, about Travis Mannion and um, if not me then who then who I got to actually meet his dad at the Union League and had a signed book from him so um, that's some powerful stuff I taught him and coached him amazing story amazing great book love Colonel Mannion coach thanks for being with us love your stories you're excellent oh. It's an honor, guys. It's an honor. Uh, Brett brought it up. He said future wife. So Coach Leahy and I wanted to congratulate you on your recent engagement yep. to Gracia. Coach. Yep. Thank you. Who's been a longtime teammate, I feel like, of all of us at Next and uh, very supportive. So congrats and looking forward to watching you grow. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Bill. We look forward to having you back for more in 2020. Who's next to join us as a future guest? Stay tuned. Until next time, we're signing off from the Navy Yard in Philadelphia. Thank you.